0: Have you seen that cartoon? They're, they work in a diamond mine and, and they're mining diamonds the size of softballs. I would be happy too. 97,760. Maybe some of you see that on your W 2 form at the end of the year. But that's actually the average number of hours that a person works in this country in their life. A 30 of your life, think of it, you're working. And people tease me all the time about what a great job I have. You only have to work one day a week. And I correct them, one hour a week. But a lot of people hate their jobs, I understand. You know, TGIF, I live for Friday. Remember the Mamas and Papa song, Monday, Monday, can't uh, trust that day? Why can't you trust it? Because you've got to go to work on Monday. So we're going through the book of Ephesians. We're now at chapter six. And I'm going to read our text this morning. It's six five through nine. Bond servants or slaves, <clears throat> obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will. As to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. I've got to address the elephant in the room right off the bat. Slaves, masters. Do you know that a third of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves? And I imagine that was the same at Ephesus to where Paul is writing. And there were many slaves in the early church. In fact, the majority of the people in the first century church were slaves. Why? Because it was such a good message, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ that gave them hope. And so many slaves believed. And there were many slaves of church people. All right. That's just the reality. That's the truth. So it's natural that Paul would address it. Their slavery, while harsh, is different from the American slavery that we were so used to, which is primarily racial. In that one people group, almost exclusively, were enslaved Africans. Roman slavery was different. It was more military and economic. The Roman Empire army would conquer a people group. And enslave some of those people. And it was also economic in that if, if you were in debt and could not pay your debts, sometimes you went into slavery to pay those debts. Even Italians were slaved. So why didn't Paul just say, hey, slavery's immoral. It's, it's evil. You should rebel against the empire. Can you imagine what would have happened? They would have been destroyed. The church would have died on the spot right then and there. So Paul and other New Testament writers planted seeds of change. Read the book of Philemon again, and you see that it's really revolutionary what Paul was talking about. Unfortunately, it took hundreds of years for slavery to be eradicated in the world. And I guess to some degree, there's still slavery, right, with child children who, who are trafficked. William Wilberforce was a Christian in England and a member of parliament, and he tirelessly worked to end slavery there and was successful in the 1830s. We also have the example of John Woolman, who was a friend in North Carolina. And by his advocacy and preaching, he convinced all of the friends who lived in North Carolina to free their slaves by 1800. And, and the friends were tireless workers and the Underground Railroad to get enslaved people to the north and to freedom. So we don't have a system of slavery and masters now. But on your job, it just seems like it. But I'm going to use this metaphor of slaves and masters to compare it to the work environment, employers and employees. Remember our figure, 97,760 hours working. That's half your waking hours. And we pastors hope and pray you'll have a 15-minute quiet time. So you spend so much time at work. It's such a huge area of your life. It's important that we talk about it, so let's do that this morning. Isn't work a four-letter word? Yes, it is. Doesn't the Bible curse work? Well, let's read Genesis 3:17, the second part of the verse through 19. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But you understand this is post-fall, after sin. This was not God's original intention. His original intention was to view work as a blessing. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord, God, took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So that's a fact of work. It was instituted by God. God made the first man to work to tend the garden. This was before sin and the curse. Adam was created to work. Second Thessalonians 3:10 through13 says, "For even when we were with you, we would give you this command: If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies." Now, such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Some people don't want to work, right? And they want the government to take care of them. But this passage tells us that each person should work if they are able to do their own work and make their own money. But how about this question? Am I to enjoy my work? I think you are. And not just tolerate it. You need to see it as a calling from God. I believe every person should pursue work that uses their gifts and talents and abilities and gives them a sense of purpose and satisfaction in life. Stop dreaming about the job in Hawaii that pays 200 grand a year. Rather, bloom where you're planted. God has you where he wants you. And I think he wants you to enjoy your job, to see it as a blessing. If you only see your job as a curse, then you're going to miss the blessing that God has for you. And you're probably going to miss God's plan for you in that place. The aptly named singer Johnny Paycheck had a song titled, Take This Job and Shove It. And some of you are going, yeah. How about this? Take this job and love it. So why don't you love your job? Well, it's the people I work with. So you're saying if you could just get rid of all the people you work with, you would love your job. You know what? It sounds like maybe the problem might be you. Maybe you need an attitude adjustment. First, Timothy six, one, let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You see, God's name is on the line while you're representing him at work. People are watching you. So can I encourage you to quit screwing up God's reputation? Let me talk about six principles. From this passage. So we can get an attitude adjustment and view our work in a different way. The first is to respect your boss. Respect your boss. It uses the phrase fear and trembling. But pastor, you don't know my boss. Hitler was nice compared to him. First Peter 2.18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That's hard, but it's about respecting authority and submitting to it. The text here doesn't say that you have to like them, that you have to approve of their lifestyle and their leadership style, but it does say that you must respect their position as an authority figure. And there's a fear component as well. There are consequences if you don't show respect. You could be motivated by both. You want to go and do a good job for your employer. And you also fear losing your job if you don't. There will be some days where you don't feel it like going in. But if you don't go in, you get fired. I think respect is a higher motivator than fear, though fear is also a part. It causes you to work harder. But pastor, at my job, I work harder and the boss takes all the credit. And that bothers you. You're working right as unto the Lord and not to men. You're working there to obey Christ and represent him well. So let them take the credit. God knows the truth, and so do you. Be a Christian. Show respect. God sees you'll earn credit with him, and you'll grow in character. And most bosses, if they have any humanity at all, will see how valuable that you are to their company and reward you. So you won't lose and if you lose some earthly riches you'll gain heavenly ones. Romans 13:7 Now switching this over to government. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Why? Romans 13:1 Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except From God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. God puts authorities in your life to see if you will obey and respect. If you won't show man respect, then you're probably not going to show God respect either. And remember, Paul is writing this in a day where the Roman government persecuted and killed Christians. And yet he still said, obey their authority and respect them. Second principle. Work. With a sincere heart. We see that word in verse five. Work with a sincere heart. Let me read a parallel passage. Colossians 322. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord. This word sincere has an interesting etymological history. It it means wax. So sculptors would put wax in the cracks of the pieces that they were making. And a smart buyer would come and take that piece. He was considering and put it in the sun to see if the sun melted the wax. So he would know it was imperfect. So to be sincere was to have no wax. To be a person of integrity, a person that is not hiding their flaws. Work with integrity. You can't sing in here on Sunday and cheat on Monday. You you can't be nice in here on Sunday and be mean to everybody at work on Monday. You see, that's wax. That's insincerity. I remember a conversation I had with a Christian employer back in Canton. And I was we were talking about work and hiring. And he said to me, I've stopped hiring Christians. I said, why? He said, they don't work hard and they expect me as their Christian boss to overlook it. So I began hiring unbelievers and illegals because they're the best workers. And I thought, oh, that's sad. No one should outwork a Christian because they're real. They're sincere. They have no wax. Third principle. Stop trying to impress your boss. In verse six, the phrase I service. What I mean by that is, do you only work when the boss is watching you when the boss is around? I think of the jobs I had before I was saved, but especially Harrison Paint. I was 19 years old, not a Christian. I goofed off all the time and hid Times, so I wouldn't have to work. But then when the boss came around, man, I picked that broom up. I'm sweeping like crazy. That's hypocrisy. Don't work to be seen. Jesus said in Matthew 6:2, thus, when you give to the needy, sell no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. I said, you be up front like the man who was looking for a job. And he went into one place and the manager said, I don't think we have enough work here to keep you busy. And he said, you'd be surprised how little it takes. You're a Christian. You're not a hypocrite. So don't act like one. We all have a tendency to want others to think we're better than we are. I know I do. You probably do, too. But it's bad for our souls If you eat too much sweets, you get sick to your stomach. If you hog all the glory, you get sick spiritually. Jesus did not take all the honor that he deserved here. And you won't get all the honor you probably deserve either. So in work, the trick is not to try to make the boss think that you're such a great worker and that he praises you. But you work hard as under the Lord because God is watching you. So you have Christ's attitude. Matthew 20. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So give good service on the job. Second Corinthians five, nine. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's why I work to please God. He's the one to impress. Maybe your boss is unpleasable. So please, God, who will see your good work. Number four. Find God's will in your work. Also, verse six, find God's will in your work. And now I know it's easier if your job is satisfactory. And some of you, I understand, work in unsatisfactory jobs. A Gallup poll found that 80% of workers have stress on their job. 25% say it's the number one stressor in my life. 42 receive receive verbal, verbal abuse at work. feel intimidated or threatened. 14% of people say, I want to hit somebody. So if you're at work in a bad place, remember this about God's will. Letter A, it's God's will for you to grow there. And maybe that's why you're in this tough place. God wants you to grow. He wants you to learn some lessons. You're saying, God, get me out of here. And God's been real patient about leaving you there. When the lesson's over and you've learned it, perhaps God will move you on. If you jump the gun and quit prematurely of God's will, then at the next place you work, you may have to learn it all over again, like the Jews had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. That may be you. God wants you to be holy more than he wants you to be happy. So in your job situation, you're you're thinking, I'm not loving this. Ask God, God, what do you want me to learn in this season while I'm here? Second thing about God's will, the B. God's will is for you to minister there. God's will is for you to minister there. If it's a bad place, then there's obviously all kinds of ministry opportunities needed. They're hurting people all over the place that need help. They need your encouragement. They need your prayers. They need your love. And we know that love transforms. So as you love your boss, your fellow workers, watch God work. He'll be doing stuff through you all over the place. There'll be lots of ministry opportunities at your job. And to see God's will is for you to witness there. Be a witness and to witness there. Now, your boss may not go to church, so you're his church. Your boss probably doesn't read the Bible, so you're his Bible. You may win him to Christ. Maybe that's why you're there. While Paul was in jail, he said this in Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So Paul says, why am I here in this jail? It's for the gospel's sake. Why are you at your place of employment? For the gospel's sake. You have a witness there for Jesus Christ. So enlarge your vision. Why am I at work? Is it a paycheck or to advance the kingdom of God? Okay. principle number five. God is your boss. We see that in verse seven and also in Colossians three twenty three. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You may have to remind yourself that God is my boss. His eye is always on me. So I'm going to do my best. Christians should be the best workers. I really believe that. Do you think that Jesus did shoddy carpentry work? I don't think he did. And we don't either. And also our services to the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. We may think volunteer work at the church. Who cares? God cares. It's very important work. That greeter, that usher, that nursery worker. Let's let's say a new mom visits our church with her baby and puts the baby in the nursery. Who's the most important person that Sunday to that new mom? Probably the nursery worker. So that's why we always want to do whatever we do, volunteer work of the church, work on our job as unto the Lord, because eternity hangs in the balance. The Lord's work is so important. We don't accept mediocrity on the job or in the church. And I'm glad uh, that Elizabeth and Pastor Charles mentioned in your bulletin, I cut this out because I wanted to mention it in my sermon. (laughs) 2023, the year to volunteer. Take a look at that. And say, is there anything in here, Lord, that you are urging me to do for you? Principle number six. Look for the Lord's reward. We see that in verse eight. Slaves were property. They worked oftentimes in unfair, unsafe and unclean work environments with no pay, no vacations, no benefits, no retirement plan. But they had hope, at least the Christian ones did the hope of an eternal reward. It's like people want it all now. They kill themselves to get rich when real riches await in heaven. Colossians 324 says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You will receive something worth waiting for someday. You won't get it all now, but you'll get it all then. The Lord will make sure you get everything that's coming to you. This story you may have heard of before, but it's always touched me. Let me share it with you. The story of the old missionary who was returning home after many years of sacrificial service in Africa. On the same ship was President Theodore Roosevelt. Returning to the States after a big game hunt in Africa, when the ship docked at New York, great crowds greeted the president and the press was there to cover the story. The old missionary and his wife walked off the ship unnoticed and made their way to a cheap hotel to spend the night before traveling west. It just doesn't seem right, the missionary said to his wife in a rather bitter tone. We give our lives in Africa to win souls to Christ. And when we arrive home, there's nobody to meet us and there's no reward. And the president shoots some animals and gets a royal welcome. As they were praying before retiring for bed, it seemed that the Lord spoke to them and said, Do you know why you haven't received your reward yet, my children? It's because you aren't home yet. So let's look at employers, the bosses. Now, Paul gives some advice to them in verse nine. First is bosses develop some people skills. Start by showing respect to all your employees and treat them well. They are made in the image of God, whether they're the vice president or the janitor. That's how Jesus would treat them with honor and dignity secondly be kind when you're the boss it's easy to throw your weight around and threaten and bully and intimidate the first boss i had as a still a high school student he made the secretaries cry he even made the customers nervous i urge you don't be that guy Remember who you are. You're a Christian, but I'm the boss. You're a Christian boss. So act like one. Thirdly, keep the right perspective. Keep the right perspective because you've got a boss in heaven, too. Never forget that. If you mistreat your employees, God sees. And God knows very well how to deal with you. But my prayer is that you will Treat your employees well, bosses, because you're a Christian. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the practical wisdom of the Bible. It really can help us in every area of our life if we're willing to submit to it. So help us, Lord, whether we are the boss or an employee or we're retired or we're volunteering to work unto you. Because you always see and you will reward us for what doesn't get rewarded here will get rewarded in heaven. And we have that hope, Lord. So we're thankful. Let us represent you well in the workplace, knowing that you placed us there to minister, to love like you loved, to pray, to serve, to do our best. Help each one that finds himself, especially in a hard place to work. To put this, these scriptures into practice and to watch you move on their behalf. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand.